Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Goodham and Pastor Brett Moe talk about confessions and how they serve as boundaries and safeguards against false teaching and false doctrine. Welcome to episode three of Being Lutheran, and I am Pastor Brett Bow, and I'm joined by Pastor Jason Goodham. And uh, if you have, uh, if you're still listening, I want to say first, thank you. <laughs> thank you for your long suffering and perseverance. Already three episodes in, we are showing you what it is like to bear your cross. Yes, yeah, we're we're taking up our cross and. Uh, Hopefully uh, that uh, that you are blessed uh, by this. I, I hope I don't keep saying that. Uh, but, uh, that's I feel like a broken record here. But uh, yeah, we've been talking about uh, the foundation of uh, what the the Bible teaches. A good summary of what the Bible teaches in in the form of confessions and in documents in that way. And uh, we're going to start to get into maybe some choppy waters, Jason. I don't know uh, that that's kind of dependent upon you. Well, everything's choppy waters with me. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a boat rocker. Uh, but the, the nature of the confessions giving us boundaries and mm-hmm. safeguards right. means that there ultimately are things that are out of bounds right. that we are becoming aware of, that sure. we are protecting ourselves, protecting our neighbor, protecting the capital C church from. And again, this is a concept that is not only built into the nature of having a confession, and so that there are things that you are confessing and things that you are not confessing, but it's also something that flows from the heart of Scripture and especially the heart of the New Testament. Yeah, and so when the when the Scriptures are, are written and when the confessions were written, it, they often were writing to correct or to respond to a false teaching. And so we don't want to feel like we're big meanies or just... Uh, saying everybody's wrong, but it's necessary to point out what is what is wrong and what is right. And so uh, that's where we want to go today as we start to look at uh, how the how Christians throughout the years have uh, combated false teaching and, and how they have responded with true and good teaching. Yeah, and like you said, it's always best to stand for something and not to be known as standing against something. Right. But at the same time, it becomes easier to clarify and communicate truth when you know what is falsehood. And and so the premise we're working with today, uh, especially, is kind of an idolization of the early church, where Mm -hmm. we're going to interact with it most often. uh, There are different groups throughout history and, and just individuals where... Uh, there's this notion we want to get back to the practices of the New Testament church. We want to be the New Testament church. And there's much to be commended about that. The New Testament church were the descendants of the disciples of Christ. They heard it firsthand. They were in there practicing it. Uh, But we need to be careful not to communicate that the the New Testament church was the perfect church. And so interesting, when I went to college, uh, you and I both went to uh, AFLBS, two-year Bible school of the AFLC. And immediately after AFLBS for me, I moved down to Oklahoma City. And I was a youth director at our AFLC church in downtown Oklahoma City, First Lutheran Church. And in that, I went to college down there for a year at uh, Oklahoma Christian University in Edmond, Oklahoma. It's a northern suburb of Oklahoma City. And that is a school that is run by the Church of Christ. 
Now, there are different flavors and names of the Church of Christ. I, I can't differentiate them at all. But mm-hmm. this particular version of the, the title of Church of Christ, uh, their whole goal in existing was to be the New Testament church. Mm-hmm. And so uh, if the New Testament was silent on it, they were silent on it. They did not observe it. If, if it gave very specific instructions, they did it. So, so most notably, uh, they did not use instruments in worship. It was all a cappella worship because, uh, in their view, the New Testament was silent on instruments. Now, there's even some debate in that, but it, was, it made for a really interesting environment. But, but this is sort of the attitude that we want to check because as you look through the New Testament, you have the history and the story of Christ in the four Gospels. Mm-hmm. Then you have the birth of the church through the ministry of the apostles in the book of Acts. And, and the rest of the New Testament, by and large, are letters to either specific congregations or groups of congregations or letters to specific people involved in congregations. Mm-hmm. And almost every single one of those letters was written for the purpose of addressing and correcting false teaching in the early church. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I, I wonder how much that's similar to how modern day Christians want uh, America from the 1950s, you know, idolizing a certain time period and, and thinking that everything was perfect at that time. And uh, you know, for for us, is thinking back to the, the early church, as they continue continued on, uh, they started to go off the rails in different ways. They maybe didn't have those curbs and, and uh, protections from from false ideas or, or false teachings. And so um, should we start walking through some of the, the books of the Bible and just pointing out uh, what false teachings they were pointing to or what they were trying to correct and in, in showing what is good and true? Yeah, I think it could be instructive if we just do a general summary of these epistles so that we can demonstrate the importance of false teaching clarifying what truth is. And, and this is one of my favorite things uh, I tell my class my adult class here at uh, Faith, yeah. is that it's always the heretics that write theology. <laughs> what uh, do you mean by that? The heretics write theology because without false teaching, we don't need to clarify truth. Okay. And so uh, a good example is that uh, you don't have a definitive obvious doctrine of inerrancy during Luther and Calvin's time in the Reformation. Mm -hmm. And that's because the doctrine of inerrancy, the doctrine of infallibility, the inspiration of scripture wasn't being challenged. That didn't come around until the 18-1900s, the 20th century, uh, so on and so forth. And so uh, we have now the, the, the modern church's contribution to theology has been a clarification on the doctrine of inspiration and the inerrancy of scripture. Mm -hmm. And with that hand in hand, uh, at different points in time, uh, the theology has been written by different heretics who have taken a specific teaching of the church and abused it. So uh, oftentimes it's the doctrine of the Trinity in one way, shape, or form, or... uh, you know, the doctrine of the end times sometimes. You know, we'll, we'll get to Thessalonians and that in just a sure. little bit. But yeah, why don't we just start walking through the epistles mm-hmm. and, and seeing what we can find about that? Yeah. So, you know, thinking through of some of the letters that were written by the Apostle Paul and uh, when he wrote Romans, what was he reacting to or what was he 
uh, trying to teach as opposed to uh, maybe a false idea that was out there? Well, Romans stands as unique in Paul's work because it's more of an organized statement of truth, an organized mm-hmm. statement of the faith. There are not a lot of specific condemnations sure. of false teaching. Uh, he says a couple harsh things to the Jews at various times in Romans. But I think one way we can look at Romans is that in this situation, Paul wrote Romans before he had visited the church in Rome. Mm-hmm. And uh, the church in Rome was in the height of the pagan worship center of the Roman Empire. Rome is where it was all happening. And so you have the temptation to idolatry, uh, to licentious living, whatever you might uh, have in Rome. And so Paul responds to that, again, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, by giving a systematic, complete, succinct summary of the faith from uh, unbelief, all the way through faith in the gospel and then Christian living. That's kind of the flow of Romans. Right. And, and you know, one letter of Paul's that is similar to Romans, but has that different tone is Galatians. And how is Galatians similar to and different from Romans in that way? Well, Galatians probably along with Romans has the most complete uh, kind of dissertation on the gospel. But in, in, in the specific case of the Galatians, there is actual error being addressed, and that's the abuse of the law, mm-hmm. attaching the law for salvation. Mm-hmm. A certain um, statement of behavior is necessary. And in the case of Galatians, Paul is specifically first addressing Peter uh, from Acts, uh, the chapters like Acts 14, 15, 16 in there. Um, but he's uh, uh, generally addressing the era of, of Judaizing the mm-hmm. gospel. That is uh, making the Jewish ceremonial laws, the sacrificial system, the dietary laws, so on and so forth, uh, programmatic for any Christian to observe to be uh, called a child of God. Right. And so that's why you hear some of maybe the more harsher statements from Paul as he, (laughs) in Galatians, uh, it's interesting how he does that as opposed to in Romans. Romans maybe comes across more as a kinder letter, would you say? Yeah. Romans is definitely gentler. Mm -hmm. Uh, Paul is specifically interested in Romans on speaking for the gospel, Mm -hmm. appealing to faith and the results of faith. Uh, Galatians has a different tone where Paul is specifically speaking against error mm-hmm. while at the same time holding up the gospel. I mean, right. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live by faith, or in, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and died for me. Mm-hmm. That's a great statement of gospel. Right. Uh, and, and, and there are others that flow through Galatians in that same vein. But yeah, Galatians 5, mm-hmm. one of the harshest chapters in all of the New Testament, <laughs> Uh, where Paul goes on to say, what is it, Galatians 5.13 or something in there, I wish that those who are tormenting themselves, tormenting you would emasculate themselves. You Ouch, can't even yeah. get any <laughs> harsher than that. And I mean, it's like, well, that's kind of inappropriate to talk about. It's sure. in the Bible, right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But you know, I, I think the way you're talking, it's, it's setting a tone of teaching, true teaching, the, the distinction between true teaching and false teaching is extremely important. And if the Apostle Paul went to that extreme to describe how important that is, I think we can too, and that uh, maybe we should. I think, I don't know, Jason, and maybe it's just me, I like to be Mr. Nice Guy, but uh, I tend to not want to come out and say that something is false. And uh, and maybe our listeners are feeling that too, Jason. What would you say to them in terms of 
being okay with standing on what true teaching is and, and having the boldness to come out and, and stand on the truth of God's word. Well, it, that's kind of a, a, a double-edged sword or, or maybe a, a double-edged coin. There, there's two sides to it. On the one side, uh, we do need to be careful in correcting error mm-hmm. uh, because we're all sinners. So even though we are convinced of our rightness and the truth of Scripture, it needs to be done whenever possible in love. It needs mm-hmm. to be done in a way right. uh, that the person who has committed the error is, is drawn back into the church. It's drawn back to God in repentance and then forgiveness of sins. It wants to be done that way. At the same time, we do not tolerate sin. We do not tolerate error. You go to Galatians. Mm-hmm. Galatians 1.8 is a good paradigm for, for standing on truth, but standing on the gospel. Paul says, if even an angel yeah. were to declare to you a gospel different than what you received from us, let him be anathema. Let him be mm-hmm. accursed. It's all about the gospel. It's not our reputations. Right. It's not our feelings that we're protecting. It's the gospel because it is the gospel alone that saves. And and what's so interesting is that if you go to 1 Timothy, Mm -hmm. Paul writes a letter to his kind of mentor, uh, the the, the young man he's been mentoring, who's now a pastor in Ephesus. Uh, In 1 Timothy 1, Paul communicates to him that rooting out false teaching, that speaking against false teaching is the loving thing to do Mm -hmm. because the situation is, is that false teaching leads to unbelief. Sure. And unbelief leads to condemnation and damnation. And, and so we are protecting souls in defining truth apart from error. But again, to circle back to the beginning, we do that with gentleness, knowing our own penchant for sin, sure. knowing our own capacity to sin. And this is exactly what Jesus was talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. You hypocrite. Mm-hmm. Why do you reach out to remove the speck from your brother's eye when there's a log in your own eye? Now, the world takes that passage and says, don't judge. Mm-hmm. It's not saying don't judge. It's saying that in correcting error that you notice, make right. sure you're also examining yourself. Make sure you're also repenting of sins. Make sure you're also uh, examining your life, looking inside yourself for the sin that is corrupting your own theology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I like how you've said that. And it's making me think of, you know, you and I are both dads of young kids. And if our kids were running out into a busy highway we would be screaming at them to stop and to turn around and to watch out. And maybe somebody that would listen to us would say, wow, they don't sound too nice or, or too yeah. kind. But really what screaming out to your child to watch out or to stop is done in extreme love and, and care for that, that person. And I, I think the same is kind of true when we're speaking against teaching that goes against what God's word teaches is, uh, and how you you said it too that we do it um, in love and we do it uh, speaking the truth and speaking in love. Speaking the truth, speaking in love, and and to differentiate the difference between doing something in love and just being nice. I mean, to go back to your analogy of disciplining your kids or protecting your kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, if they're running out to traffic, you might even violently throw yourself against them or grab them and throw them to to protect them from getting run over. Uh, But at the same time, in parenting, Mm -hmm. one of the most difficult things to do as a father is not to discipline in anger, not to to just respond because they disobeyed you, but to correct disobedience because this is Mm -hmm. the goal that they would be respectful, Mm -hmm. that your goal for them as a father is that... uh, 
you know, they would develop and grow into a, a God-fearing, God-loving, Christian, responsible citizen, loving, you know, all of those things. And so your intent in discipline is done out of love. And, and we as an American society today have lost that entirely, mm-hmm. that any disagreement is always character valuation. Sure. Uh, uh, that you have to accept and approve of every single thing for every person always, or it's offensive. Well, it might be offensive, but if it is wrong, it's also harmful and damaging. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what we really need to get after is that salvation, there is there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved other than Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When that uh, truth is corrupted by inserting ourselves into the equation or making Jesus one option among many. Mm-hmm. What we're doing in the end is we're leading souls to damnation. Right. And that's what we're trying to avoid. God wills that all men should be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. We also ought to will that all people should be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And in time, then, that necess- necessitates that we stand on truth, that we stand for truth, because you can't be saved unless you know what the truth is. You know, mm-hmm. the, the gospel is the power of God for salvation unto anyone who believes. And again, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So you have this notion, again, the church has corrupted the gospel. You, you have the, the, this legend attributed to Francis Zissi mm-hmm. that uh, preach the gospel <laughs> at all times, if necessary, use words, right? That sounds great and, and best construction, live the gospel out in your daily lives, right? But the problem is the gospel needs words because the gospel must be proclaimed. Right. Yeah. And so you've done a great job there of expressing that, explaining that for us. And, you know, as we reflect on how the books of the New Testament are written to to maybe speak to a certain issue and and, and really respond to that with the true and good and clear and healthy and sound teaching. Uh, I ask you, Jason, do you think that some of these issues or some of these problems that happened uh, in the early church, do you think it happens today? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you you go down the list of the rest of Paul's letters, and uh, it's remarkable the the parallels we see in today. Uh, We've done Romans, we've done Galatians, the two books in between Romans and Galatians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, the Corinthian church was really screwed up yeah. in a lot of ways. It's unbelievably messed up. Uh, uh, they were suffering from Hebrew worship. You have, you have the passages where I follow Paul, I follow Paulus, and then you have the super pious guy who comes in, well, I follow Jesus, right? <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. We see hero worship in the church all the time. Sure. The celebrity pastor is a huge problem in the church Jason today. Goodham. Yeah, okay. no one says that. No <laughs> one says that. We haven't gotten that far. Uh, so a practical issue addressed in correcting the error of the Corinthians is church leadership. Sure. The, the, the church in Corinth had huge problems with sexuality mm-hmm. and the dismissal of sin and sexual sins, and Paul corrects that at length in mm-hmm. the Corinthian letters. Uh, Ephesians, yeah. uh, you have uh, the, the error that is being addressed in Ephesians is church unity. You have the great message in Ephesians 4. There's one faith, one Lord, one God, one baptism. All of that comes in, and it's talking about unity in doctrine and the nature of the church and its relationship with doctrine. Mm-hmm. That's in Ephesians. Philippians uh, is uh, opposition to the cross. So Philippians works as kind of a treatise on suffering, and it works uh, for Christians to stand 
in the face of suffering instead of walk away from the faith. Colossians deals with the deity of Christ. That's going on today constantly. Who was Jesus? We asked that question last uh, episode. You know, is who do you say Jesus is? Well, if you take what the world says about Jesus, uh, you, you know, it's Jesus loves peace, love, and rock and roll. He's a hippie at Woodstock. <laughs> uh, and finally, in First and Second Thessalonians, you have even as divisive and controversial an issue as eschatology. They're knowing that there can be errors with eschatology because people in the Thessalonian church uh, were just going, sitting on a hill and waiting for Jesus to come back. So uh, false teaching and addressing false teaching as truth is incredibly crucial for the church today. Yes, amen. And, and I think that that's uh, important for us to consider that as we move forward. And so we've looked at that today in this episode of Being Lutheran. Once again, I want to thank you for uh, listening. Jason, any closing thoughts? Nope, that's it. Thanks for listening and for putting up with us. Thank you for joining us on Being Lutheran. Please check out our website at beinglutheran.com. Join us for our next episode where Pastor Jason and Pastor Brett talk about Gnosticism and the impact that it has had on Christian theology. 